Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. Hello. And temporarily dropping out of retirement, our podcast co-host, Emeritus Hunter. Hi, what's up, everybody? Our guest brought Hunter out of retirement, because tonight, my friends, we're talking to the one, the only... You love him or you don't. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Derek Smart. Welcome, Derek. Welcome back, Derek. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, we brought you back uh, because you uh, have been doing a lot of work on Universal Combat. Um, yes, I have. Yes, which, I have. So um, for those who don't know, let's describe what Universal Combat is. I mean, basically – this whole journey started, what was it, 22 years ago? Recently, you posted 20, a thing. 20, yeah, 22 years ago. is when he, Well, it started back in 1989, but 22 oh. years ago is when it was first commercially released. Right. So yeah. Universal Combat <laughs> is the culmination of Battlecruiser and all that before it. Is that correct? The, yeah, quick, it's quick, the, okay. Universal Combat is the spiritual successor to Battlecruiser 3000 AD because the the original game itself was basically focused on your battle cruiser, four fighters, shuttle, and four vehicles. But um, then for Universal Combat, which came out in 2004, between the first game and that new series, I opened it up so that people could play any of, you know, use any of the assets, any of the capital ships, any of the fighters, shuttles in the game. And I added a first person perspective. So it was no longer fitting to call it battle cruiser because it was no longer about one capital ship so i made it i you know created a new ip and called it universal combat because it's you know airspace land sea the whole nine yards and you know first person and it's uh, universal so that's how that came about and, and now the the one you can buy on steam uh which is the one we're talking about tonight so f- uh folks there's the base game and there's a dlc what's the name of the dlc i'm totally blanking Okay. Del- <laughs> Delirious conflict. Let me give you a link here in um, green right. room. Right. You have the um, you you have the actually. Let me just pull this up. You have the base game, which is the collect. What I did was the collector's edition is was released back in um, two thousand nine. Uh, that edition was all the Universal Combat games, which contained um, all the screen all the um, Battle Cruiser games. It contained. All the Millennium, the Battle Cruiser Millennium games, because you had Battle Cruiser and the Millennium and the Universal Combat. So the Collected Edition included all those games um, in terms of their, you know, their scenarios and their, because all the games take place in the same world. So it's, it, it, so I decided to take all the scripts, all the scenarios from all the previous games, converted them, tested them, rewrote them to work with the Universal Combat Engine, and I threw everything in there, and I called it uh, the Collector's Edition, which was my way of saying, there's no way in hell I'm going to make another one of these games ever again. So, <laughs> so, so I threw everything in there, and then the whole Star, the whole Star Citizen came about, Elite Dangerous came around, um, uh, Infinity Battlescape, all those games, all the, the whole resurgence as it were of the space combat thing started around 2012 2013 and people started harassing me to do another game even though i told them it'll be too expensive and i'm too old and i'm bored and i'm cranky and i'm not going to be able to focus on doing it and nobody's going to give me 10 million dollars to make it anyway so i'm not going to put 10 million dollars of money into it 
So in the end, I people kept buying the game, the base game on Steam, you know, which is the link I just provided. And I thought, okay, you know what I'll do? I will improve on the graphics, add some new features, polish a few things, but I'm not going to give you guys a new game. So that is how Delirious Conflict, which is the DLC, which I just gave you a link to, came about. So you can still buy the base game, Universal Combat Collection Edition. The 2015 version is the Steam special Steam version. contains everything you need. But if you need additional support and new missions and all this new graphics, uh, the visual updates I'm doing, and all the cool stuff that I'm putting in it. Here's the change. I think I have the change log here. here. This is all the cool stuff I've put in it since I released the DLC, then that's what you're buying. But, you know, it's the best I could do without having to do a new game from scratch. Well, there's already so much content in the, uh, in, in Universal Combat, considering that, like, the scenario, the, the campaign missions alone can take a long time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. And that's, that, and that's a good point, because, you remember the game it's in itself and it's the core game is one huge sandbox. You never have to play any of the campaign scenarios because just the basic Rome, AKA sandbox, AKA free flight. Um, it's just an empty script. It's just basically an empty canvas. You just grab a ship, grab your crew and go wreak havoc. Um, the game's AI takes over and does everything and you don't you never have to follow any of the any scripted pattern if you don't want to play them that you know i i actually added the instant action scenarios and some of the scripted campaign scenarios because people kept asking for them over the years because some people like direction some people like you know the whole sandbox idea but uh in this game you have all three you can do your sandbox thing you can do a campaign or you can just do you know quick instant instant action and they're all there right but uh if folks want the new stuff they got to buy the new thing which is totally fair i mean you're putting in actual like a lot of hours i mean this change log is like a novel (laughs) oh yeah yeah and and, yeah it is it's a lot and this is and it's a good point because if you go to the end of that 3.0 change log and see when i did the first version and just scroll to the current version that's like one game just by itself for the amount of work that I put in there. It's just me doing it. There's nobody else doing it, just me. And I've been doing it off and on for the past, you know, since, you know, 2016, basically. But um, the, the the thing with these games is, is what plagues all developers. For instance, if you look at, take a look at the recent um, change log, um, let's say, for instance, the latest one that I released, not the one on the, 26 let's go to the 16th because that's the massive one if you scroll all the way down to the 19 release that i didn't that was released back in march so between march and september you can see the exceptional amount of work that i've put into it just to bring it to this version that um i released on um you know, September 26th, it's a lot of work. And this is the sort of thing that I kept telling the guys saying, you know, it's not as simple as just saying, I'm going to make a new battle cruiser game, or I'm going to make a new universal combat game. There's a lot of work involved with, you know, there's some legacy code that needs to be rewritten for modern day computers. There's a lot of um, visual artwork that needs to be redone. So it looks at least semi-decent and, Along the way, you'll find old bugs that were sitting there that um, you want to fix, and 
you fix one bug and all of a sudden 50 more crop up. You have to be very, very careful with, you know, how you do these things. So because the majority of this particular DLC is just on that campaign and visual updates, I find that I spend more time, which is what I didn't want to do. I spend so much time cleaning on the nylon code, legacy code. I take a look at them. Like, I can't believe I even wrote that. And I just strip it and rewrite it. It's very hard not to do that. You know, as a creator and a perfectionist, it's, it's a very, very, it's a fine line that it's very easy for you to cross over. And this particular version is, is, you know, that I just released in um, September 16th is, is evidence of that. And it's evidence of why I didn't want to do another one of these games because they're just so massive and, you know, time consuming. So uh, what's going on with the other games? Uh, all aspect. Um, uh, oh, I'm not doing anything with those anymore. I mean, the only other game oh. I had in development is line of defense. Line of defense um, is being ported to unreal engine because as you know, we lost our, um, where Microsoft bought havoc. We lost our console path and I spent so much money on that game that it I would not be able to recoup my investment on a PC-only release in the short term, and it was going to be my last game. So I decided that rather than, you know, plot on and release a PC version, we were just going to port it to Unreal Engine 4 so we can regain our PC, Xbox, PS4 path. And, of course, it also helps that both Sony and Microsoft had already approved the game like two years ago so while line of defense is slowly plodding through that i decided to do something for my legacy space simulators because line of defense as you know is a completely different kind of game it's nowhere near the scope and the feature set of battle cruiser universal combat i didn't want to leave my my um, old school gamers in the lurch not that they'll let me forget about it but um (laughs) Yeah, I thought I'd throw them a bone by um, doing something for them because these are the guys who've bought these games so many times over the years. And I felt that um, I should at least, if I'm going to retire the series, I should at least do as much as I can to leave them with um, a game that they can, you know, most of those guys still play the old game, the old games. And I figure if I do this DLC and improved on the last game from 2009 that it's better than me just quitting cold turkey and say, hey, this is my defense. It's not your kind of game, but, you know, tough. So <laughs> I think I'll just do them both in tandem, and it's working out okay. You know, We do have a question. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Hunter. Then we have a question from the audience. Go ahead. Well, actually, that question from the audience ties into my question. Oh, all right. Um, so with 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 line of defense and porting that over to the Unreal Engine four, yeah, uh, the mechanics that you have in place with with the current version of line of defense, how how does that port to Unreal Engine four? Are you finding that it's easier, or are you finding some mechanics are are really hard to work with? Well, it's it's a graphics engine port. There's only two things. It's it, it most of the 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 gameplay aspects don't change because the Unreal Engine 4 is very, very straightforward and it's not its not like Unreal Engine 3, which would have been a serious problem. With UE4, it's mostly 90% of the work is, <laughs> believe it or not, is in graphics. And the, the, the worst thing for us right now is that the Unreal Engine graphics kernel 
is so much more powerful than the the Havoc engine. Um, uh, than the Havoc's engine graphics, the graphics engine we have, that it makes our assets look so par. But good, good, good thing is we we still have all the high resolution assets which are created. So it's one thing to port to a more a vastly superior graphics engine, and it's another to update your existing art assets, you know, models, vehicles, aircraft, to look good on that target engine. So <laughs> that's basically most of the work is all visual. Anything to do with, you know, of course, networking. We have our own networking stack, so you know, we're not going to touch anything to do with the Unreal Engine 1. But um, and things like you know scripting and or the game. I mean, the whole game is a huge sandbox anyway. So there really isn't that much of a big difference between going from Havoc, the Havoc-based uh, Vision Engine, to Unreal Engine 4. It's uh, it's just most of the work is in is in you know in, in in the content itself. But remember, the Alliance Defense is a whole different. It's a completely different kind of game. It's more of a um, it's more of a combined arms game than it is a, a simulation, so it doesn't really need as much um, in-depth, you know, uh, changes for a target engine as you would something that requires an you know an updated neural net or um, updated AI. It's basically you know um, it's just one huge you know open melee sandbox. We're not going to change anything about that. It's just a matter of taking one graphics engine and, you know, taking it from one graphics engine to another and then, you know, start fiddling with all the bugs. I know your question had two parts. I'm not sure if I answered both of them because I can't see well, the question. I can't well, see the questions for some the, reason. The, um, it's a, they're over on Twitch, it looks like here. But um, my, my, my concern was, and, and, I, and I'm nowhere near as a developer like you are or any other developer for that matter, I've just I've ha- I've heard that sometimes porting over from one engine to another can be uh, detrimental in in terms of trying to figure out certain mechanics or open world uh, mechanics or and that kind of nature. So I just wasn't sure, but yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, it's it's you see, it's the difference is I give you an example. It, it's it's like going from um, Unity 3D to Unreal Engine 4. It's going to be fraught with a whole bunch of problems. Um, it just, in fact, just ask, ask anybody uh, who's worked with Unreal Engine. They'll tell you that going from UE3 to UE4 itself is a massive headache, um, and that's you know because for all intents and purposes, UE3 is as different, is very very different from UE4 in many many aspects, and the, that's why there's so many games or you know um, fan projects that are still on UE3 and they haven't bothered to switch to UE4. Because it's a, it's a significant amount of work, so for us going from something like Havoc Vision Engine to Unity 3D would have been a huge leap because the the scene graph is different. Uh, Unity does Unity 3D does a whole bunch of things very very differently. Um, but you know we, I chose UE4 instead of Bayard. CryEngine uh, because it it's very very similar to um, the Havoc Vision Engine, which used to be called Trinity, uh, in many regards. So it was more of a thing about, you know, you're not comparing oranges to grapefruit in a, in a sense. You're probably comparing one apple to a different kind of apple. I mean, there's still apples. You know, you have a Granny Apple, Granny Smith, or 
type of apple, you know, an apple is an apple. So you really just from Havoc Vision Engine to UE4 is one type of apple to a different type of apple. But going from um, UE3 to UE4 is more like going from an apple to a grapefruit. But then if you go from you know, UE4 to <laughs> Unity 3D or vice versa, now you're talking apples to coconuts. So, it, it, yeah, it, it all depends. It also depends on expertise. I mean, somebody who knows, you know, Unity 3 in and out is going to be very, very good at, um, you know, at um, helping with the port. Same thing is, same thing as if you want to port from your game to UE4, you need to get somebody who knows UE4 because it makes things easier. You certainly do not want to, to be on a learning curve when you are, um, you know, learning to port to a target engine, that never, never, ever ends well. So for us, you know, and and th- this the other the other thing, and you mentioned this, and one of the reasons why I decided not to even port. Um, anybody who's played all aspect warfare and angle of attack know that even though it's my same in-house engine, there are. They're they're more advanced than the Universal Combat engine, and that Universal Combat engine is more advanced than the Battlecruiser engine, but they're all derivative works. It's like a dice, the different versions of Frostbite. You know, it's the same Frostbite engine, right? But they've um, used different versions of Frostbite over the years across, you know, different Battlefield games. But it's it's still Frostbite. So it's the same thing. So going from the universal, going from the all aspect warfare angle of attack engine to universal combat engine is a huge leap. Uh, for instance, the, the the planetary technology in Battlecruiser and universal combat is fully procedural. There's no way we could do that using the uh, all aspect warfare engine because that engine is not procedural. The and the the one the single planet that those two games take place on is hand created. It's handcrafted. Uh, so. I could never port it if I wanted to, but what I could do, which which is what I am doing, is porting the graphics aspects of the universal of the uh, Alaska Warfare Angle of Attack engine to the Universal Combat CE because the scene graph is the same. The scene graph, you know, which is what the world is built on, and it determines how it's created, rendered, blah blah blah. It's all it's all the same without changing any of the data sets. Um, I know this is all getting technical and I'm rambling, but no, uh, keep going. I, we love technical. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's it's very very it's 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 one of those things that you just sit down and say you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And I decided that the shortest route to improving on Universal Combat was to just port port it to use the well, um, all aspect warfare engine, then to port it to a third party engine that was going to cause more problems and take more time. Sure, and I mean, all things considered, going to going to UE four is probably a, a better option than the other the other options that are out there. I'll I'll I'll, I'll admit that. Oh yeah. First. Oh, yeah. So, oh yeah. So that's that's exciting. I'm actually really excited uh, to see where that goes. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know all all these engines are designed to to make specific kind of games. I mean, I, the reason and the reason why I've been licensed. Um, I've written blogs about this before. The reason why I decided to license a third party engine for the first time to do a game like Nara Defense is because um, it's a different kind of game, and it would have caused it would spe- it would have taken more time to create a new engine from scratch for that game. 
or to build a game from my own legacy engines, which I've built over the years to power Battlecruiser Universal Combat. So it just made sense. And that engine, you know, that engine that we licensed for line of defense, you know, wasn't cheap. Um, I had to pay for the engine license up front. I have to pay yearly support costs. And um, it used to be just the Havoc Vision engine, which was, well, it used to be the, the, um, Trinity engine and then Havoc bought them out and when Havoc bought them out we got they changed the name to Havoc Vision Engine and then that kind of gave us access to things like Havoc Physics, um, Havoc AI and the entire Havoc suite but you know at a cost so you know I, I paid it and all of a sudden now Universal uh, uh, you know Line of Defense had this entire suite of Havoc based engines as well as um, the other middleware engines we were using, like Silver Lining for the and um, sorry, Trident for the water, Silver Lining for the clouds and atmospheric effects and things like that. So we were really, we were really st- stuck in that ecosystem. But you know, it's, think about this: if you decide to build a house, you know, well, let's say you want to build a four-story hotel, and you 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 spent, um, for argument's sake, ten million dollars on a four-story hotel. And then two years in, you find out that uh, the architect, um, you know, died, went to heaven, and didn't leave you with any plans for it. Now you have you have to decide: Are you going to continue building the four-story hotel uh, when you're at story number two? You don't know what the other two floors are, or are you going to hire, um, you know, another architect to complete it? So my decision was: I either finish the game with Havoc Vision. Um, and release a PC only game and lose money in the long term, or just cut my losses, port to a different engine, and continue along the original path of doing the PC, Xbox, and UE4. You, um, you could say that UE4 is a far cry better engine than Crytek. Oh, well, mm. let's put it this way UE4 is, is far more superior. That's, 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 there's no comparison. But, the two engines have their, their strengths and weaknesses. I mean, don't, you know, not that I'm going to sit down and list every one of them, but there's a reason why a lot more games are made with UE4 than they are Cry Engine. And there's also a reason why a lot of games um, are made with Unity 3D. Each of the engines have their strengths and weaknesses, but something that I cannot underscore, that cannot be underscored is that an engine is just as good as a person as a person using it you know you can have you can have the best engine at your disposal if you if you're not experienced enough to use the engine then you're never going to be able to make the full potential of that engine that's the reason why you have people who have worked with ue ue4 or any version of unreal engine will stick with it across all their games if they can and then you have all the experts who use unity 3d who would never switch to ue4 not only because they prefer it, but because they're now experts at it. So it all depends on the expertise of the team and, you know, what kind of game that they're building. But if anybody asks me right now, if you're going to build a game, what engine should I use? I would just ask you two things. One, the experience of the team. Two, what kind of game are you building? Because that will determine, you know, what engine you choose. Sure. Uh, how far along is the... um the port to UE4? Uh, it's not very far along. I mean, some days are better than 
but um you know my thing has always been the same you know it's ready when it's ready right now it's not ready and um i think that once i start doing what i always do you know release screenshots and release movies and release updates i think people are going to be really amazed when they see um <laughs> i'm just going to keep my mouth shut for now but i, I think a lot of people are going to be very very surprised it's 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 going to look, it's not going to play any differently because it, it, it was already playing to my satisfaction, but it's, it's, it's going to look a whole lot different. I mean, the, the visuals are going to be completely different. It's going to be like night and day, basically. But uh, it's coming across, you know. Well, that's, that's it's, coming, it's coming along very nice. We actually have a uh, question from uh, Twitch about Line of Defense. Derek was selling JPEGs of a DLC for Line of Defense called Tac Packs. Will those, <laughs> will those be transferred to the Unreal 4 port? <laughs> yeah, those guys are funny. Uh, let me just show you what, let me just give you a link to what he's talking about before I answer that. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. It's, by the way, it's, it's, uh, it's DLC, just so you know. Hang on, let's see if I can pull it up here and stick in a link for you. Hang on. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, is that the one? Yep, that's the one. Let's, let me just give you this link before I explain what he's talking about. Uh, yep, starter kits. That's the one. Let me just... My internet connection is acting weird today. <laughs> Somebody else in the comments said you'd think uh, he'd use PNGs as their far format. <laughs> yeah, hang on. Let me. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, here we go. Here's a link. Let me put it. Then I can explain. At least that you'll you'll have the um, you'll have the context. Okay. Here's what's here's here's what they're talking about there. That link, oh. this is what they're talking about. Click on each one of those. If you hover to the left there, um, first of all, scroll down, and you will see that these are the early access editions. They're really, they're not JPEGs. They're really just, uh, you know, in-game assets, which are already in the game. And when it first hit early access on Steam, you can call these commander uh ambassador and the mystery versions you can call those um um those are like early access you know um you know uh bonus tiers as it were for those who jumped in early now if you scroll up to where it's you know on the left side there if you click on tactical advance let's say Tactical Advantage Kit Level 1. If you click on that, it'll tell you exactly what's in it. And these are all stuff that's in the game. It's basically just determining what class you want to play. So you can either get this one and get all this crap, or you can pick one of the other three. It goes up to four. You can mix and match them because the game doesn't force you to play with any item. I mean, just so you know, it's no different from what's happening right now in Fortnite, Destiny, or any other game. So this is how they were all fashioned. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not like you're <laughs> charging for loot crates or anything. No, <laughs> no, no loot crates, no loot crates at all, and all this stuff. And the other thing is, um, you don't have to buy any of it. 
because the the base game itself comes with all the kits you need to start. So you either you either play uh it's similar to again Fortnite, Destiny, you know, all those or um Warframe or whatever, you either play and get experience points just like in Battlecruiser Universal Combat and get all this stuff or even in it's even in 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 All Aspect Warfare. You either come across these things, you have them or you just grab them and have them in your inventory right off the bat. They don't give you any, any come, you know, any edge other than, yeah, you're going to have probably, if you, you know, you, the difference between getting a high powered machine gun and a rifle depends on whether you want to grind or search for it. You or know, just there. buy it. Yeah, go ahead. You know what you should do? If you wanted to monetize the crap out of this, just, Start selling stuff that's not even in the game, though. Oh, but, geez. like, you know, <laughs> charge like $10,000, $20,000. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people will buy it if you tell them it'll be in there eventually. Just just saying. I mean, I mean that, that oh. could be a great price. I know I where you're going. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you so know, Hunter, Hunter is decrying a proven. <laughs> A proven strategy that works. No, just sorry. Yeah, but but I'm you know, but I'm old. I'm old fashioned. So old fashioned guys like me are we're basically allergic to money. You see, so we <laughs> we, we would never do that. <laughs> and we keep seeing that in these failed kickstarters, over and over yeah. and over again. Speaking of failed kickstarters, hate to bring it up, but limit theory. Uh, uh. That that got, no did you did you see what finally yeah, happened yeah yeah yep, it wasn't it yep, wasn't surprising yep, yep. it wasn't surprising it was sad I was sad to see it happen but it the writing was on the wall well, for a while with that one I'm just I'm personally I mean I, I just think it's uh, it's courageous of the guy to just finally take the courage to write that letter and admit the whole yeah thing. no like, I, that takes. Takes a lot, especially considering you know he had some health stuff he was dealing with for a yeah. while, and so I mean, no, I got I got nothing. Um, I have no um, animosity toward him. I mean, he did. I think he did the best he could with the physical and mental resources he had available. Um, and sadly, that wasn't enough. But what are you gonna do? I mean, when you're yeah, you know, at least at least it came clean about it i mean yeah exactly other, others others other other i mean i'm not making excuses for him but you and i both know most other failed kickstarters they just disappeared and never to be heard from again mandate i'm so disappointed about that one uh, actually you know what now that you guys mention it i actually let me see if i have it on my phone because i actually that is one of the games that i've been meaning to um to look into actually here we go let me see I, I, I did see you had a nice twitter rant about it um oh, a little while yeah back. i was very upset about that one. Oh yeah well yeah, a lot of us were yeah we put money into it it looked like it looked like it was going to be fantastic back in 2014 yep. or whatever they uh, yeah a bunch of people kept a bunch of people kept reaching out to me and said yeah it's definitely definitely dead so i was asking some questions and you know everybody talks to me because people know i you know i i value confidentiality more than anything else so everybody you know everybody tells me everything so i kept looking into it asking some questions making some notes and once i was convinced it was really dead that's when i wrote up 
you know, what I wrote. And of course, next thing you know, limit theory happens. Ah, here we go. I found my list. These are the games that I, these are my Kickstarter games that I still haven't seen yet. Bloom, um, mm. Abduction, yes. The Mandate, uh-huh. Stomping, Land we know, Stomping Land We Know Is Dead. Whatever happened to Universum? I haven't looked in on that one yet. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Wait, uh, Abduction, what was that one? Um, Abduction, I have no clue. It's actually on, I've completely lost track of that one, but it's sitting right here in my list of games that I funded and I haven't heard from. And of course, I have, let me see, the ones I recently checked off are... Um, Abduction wouldn't be the, uh, the the mist clone that the Cyan guys made, right? I believe that would that was it. I think that was it. Dude, that's been out for a while. Abduction has been out. Nobody told me. I have it here on my. Li- so I must. I must go look at my emails then, because I have here. Abduction is sitting here. Bloom. Uh, is Akinira out? The one yeah. from. Um, I don't think I heard from that McGee. One. From no. McGee. Don't think. Uh, Universum is on early access right now. It is. Thank and, you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been for a while actually. So we have Universum. The mandate. You say abduction is out. And what yes. about what about Bloom? Bloom out. And the other one, the other one is Akinero, A K A N E I R R O. That one was done by um, American McGee. Your shiny horse. I know that we're having issues with that one. I'm not. But uh, let's yeah, there see. are. I've backed so many Kickstarters, and the minority of them have come out. Um, a, a bunch of them are still in, uh, uh, a bunch of them are still in early access, like Pulsar, Lost Colony. Oh, right, right, right. Yep, yep, um, yep. But, yeah, like, Mandate failed, and... No, what, what kills me is, like, I'm, I'm gonna throw a little shade, and I hate to do this, but the, um, <laughs> the Starflight 3 kicks fig campaign that just failed just it's like all these other nostalgia based kickstarters that they think nostalgia is the only fuel they need and oh yeah you're talking about starflight 3 huh yeah Yeah, i'm still upset oh i'm so upset but i mean there's also there was conquest 2 there was nexus 3 there was red baron um I can't remember some of the other ones. Those are like the big ones I remember being initially excited about. And then I'm like, watch, because I work in marketing and I watch the Kickstarter. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You haven't updated for a week, guys. <laughs> this is not how you yeah. sell yourselves. Um, so, yeah, Kickstarter is a risk. It's a, You're funding someone's dream. You're not pre-ordering a game. You're funding a dream. And we thought we were funding um, Josh's dream. And uh, yeah. it didn't work out, yeah. which is a shame. But that's uh, you know you know what he's doing though that I think was pretty great is he's taking everything that he's done and he's just putting it out there for anyone to that's good play with that's and, good and, maybe yeah, something so he's will putting come all of that. his all of his source <clears throat> codes going out there. He said it, he doesn't think it's going to do much for anybody, but I mean you look at what he had already built. If you go back and watch any of his videos, there's enough there that I think someone could easily take it and do something with it though. You think so? I don't know. I, I, I mean, not like tomorrow, but like, I mean, I think that given like the last major update that I saw him do over the last year or whatever it was, 
-hmm. I think there's enough there that someone could make something from it potentially. Well, you know, it's not that easy. It's not that easy, especially if it's not by the same person, because the worst thing any developer, every developer knows that the worst thing that could ever happen to them is them inheriting. It's usually, you know, fraught with um, a lot of hassle, a lot of aggravation and, you know, a lot of money. So, yeah, it's not, it's not so, um, it's not, it's not that easy. Unfortunately, to just, you know, pick something up. It does kind of amaze me, though, when we see all these fan communities pick up um, games that don't exist anymore and, and emulate them and make them run, like Star Wars Galaxies, like Earth and Beyond, like the folks who took the Free Space 2 source code and have just blown that up. That that amazes me. Like Yeah, they, they turned it into, you know, <laughs> like an MMO, essentially, you know. Almost with the with the yeah. You see, the thing about it is a lot of a lot of these things is that I mean I'm just going to say it. Most of these projects that pop up is really just about quick money, because anybody who knows anything about software development, especially game development, can take a look at development and say, "Hey, you're going to need more money to do this," or you're going to make a pitch that has ten items on it. And you actually get money for two items. How are you going to, what game are you exactly are you going to be making then? Which is one of the problems which I highlighted in my tweet thread earlier today about Starflight 3. You know, where if you take a look at their pitch, anybody who knows anything about software development would say, Hey, look, I'm not sure how they plan on building that game, you know, with $800,000 because the, um, you know the the second bullet point in their pitch. I mean, I'm staring at it. Says hand built planets and star systems to discover, mine, catalog new creatures and traded locals. Well, I can tell you right now that something like Star, you know, like uh, like you know, Star Control Origins um, is what they're describing right in in, in Starflight Three. I can tell you right now, it didn't cost eight hundred thousand dollars to do over two years it, that's 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 insane so it's the same thing with uh, with you know our favorite game uh, star citizen you know when you pitch a, when you pitch a certain game for a certain amount of money for a certain period of time and you deviate from that now you've changed some very important parameters those parameters can be as something as as unimportant as adding a new planet or you know, adding a new feature, all of a sudden, the controlled environment you had, which had fixed feature set, fixed amount of money, and fixed set of goals, now you've added something random to it, and everybody who's a programmer who does AI or whatever knows that the worst thing you could ever imagine is being subject to chaos theory, because chaos theory means it's completely unpredictable. You just never know. It's like one of those butterfly effect times type things. Are you trying to advertise for Eve now? Because you sound like you're adver- <laughs> that's, that's, exa- that's exactly one of their trailers for their game. Like oh my god. <laughs> um, so um, that, that's the thing. You know, when you look at these pitches, it's very easy to determine whether it's just quick money or whether they really intend on, you know, building a game. So, I mean, I studied 
looking at the Starfire three thing, if, because they you would they would get matching funds from the fig investors, it would be easy for them to get more than eight hundred k. I mean, if you look at things like um, you know Brian Fargo's games on there, I mean, they ask for two million for one million, they get four million. They ask for one point five million, they get three million. You know, kind of thing. So I feel that that's probably what they were doing, where they pitched a weekend booths for eight hundred. And they were thinking that with all this celebrity endorsements and all this um, nostalgia, they would go over the 800K and hit the actual mark, which in my estimation would be two to three million dollars. But that's the problem. What happens if you know you need two to three million dollars, but you ask for 800K, then you get 800K? But you already know that. You can't make the game for 800K. What's going to happen is two years down the road, there's still no game. Three years down the road, you know, people start getting nervous. Four years down the road, you know, hey, we, now we're in mandate territory, you know. Um, and that's how these things go. So, I mean, with FIG, the good thing about FIG is they have all these checks and balances for accountability and how the funding is handed out to developers. But, um, Unfortunately, is because of those checks and balances, and because Fig is very selective about the projects they sign, is why you still have games on Indiegogo and uh, Kickstarter that never get finished, because everybody, you know, people trade on, you know, different responsibilities and, uh, you know, different desires. I'm never gonna kick. I'm never gonna crowdfund another game ever again. I mean. Well, here's a question for you. Someone from the audience wants to know: Would you ever? sell the Battlecruiser IP, and if so, how much would you sell it for? Well, no, because, well, I, I get asked that quite a bit. You'd be surprised. For one thing, selling the IP is not and is and not something that you would just say, hey, yeah, you, would you be able to sell the IP? I mean, the Battlecruiser slash Universal Combat IP would entail the trademark, copyright, source code, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if the price is right. But for me, I've always, you guys know that over the years, I've always maintained one specific thing. I do this as a hobby. And luckily for me, that hobby has, you know, funded, has enabled me to keep funding games and the 10 people still buy. But because I'm a guy who only has, <laughs> you know, because I'm a guy who only needs, you know, two people buying my games, you know, I'm perfectly happy with 10 people buying it. So, you know, so selling the IP would be about, it would be about money. I, so for that reason alone, I would not be interested in selling any of my IP because I have no interest in, you know, money sitting at the bank doing nothing. If somebody says, hey, I want to fund the development of your IP to make a movie or to make another game, or I want to buy your technologies to make another game, yes, we can talk about that. But somebody saying, hey, I want to buy the Battlecruiser Universal Combat IP, my first question would be, what are you going to do with it? And hey. You don't yeah. have any, um, you know, if someone wants to make a movie out of Battlecruiser, you don't have any, like, space cats in your universe, do you? No, but I have enough space aliens to... Actually, you know what? Scratch that. We don't have, <laughs> we don't have space cats, but I think these guys... Hang on. I think Brian probably knows where I'm going with this, but Brian, don't say anything. Wait for it. Um, Let's... Hang on. Oh, darn it. Where is it? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I had it here. Docs, yep, I've, I think I found it. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Let me give you this link, which might, um, you probably won't see K 
cats in there, but you would see alienations. Yeah, these guys. These guys are the. Here's a link. These are all the alienations. I mean, the visuals are old school, sixteen bit type crap. But um, if you scroll down, the closest you're ever going to get to cats is those Empyrean guys. I mean, those guys are just like that first guy down there in the middle. But you might, let's see the closest we can get to a cat. Yeah, I think the closest we can get to a cat would be that um, would be that Empyrean guy up there. Yeah, look at that. that. <laughs> I think probably, um, I think, the, yeah, I think that, that Empyrean guy looks more like a cat, but the Vesperons might be close to a cat. Yeah, so. That's what I was thinking. Is, I was thinking the yeah, Vesperons yeah, yeah. Like kitties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the Vesperons would uh, would be a close fit. I mean, I can see somebody totally wearing that bodysuit and doing a cosplay the whole nine yards. Yeah, so, just yeah. make sure the just make sure the costumes <laughs> don't get ruined in production. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so back to your question. It's 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 a tough one. Unless somebody's going to do something with the IP, like they say, hey, you know, I want to license technology to make a game. Yeah, we can talk. But just going to buy the IP just because they want to own it. Yeah, no, I'm not interested in that. Well, we have another question. Uh, will Derek ever work with another publisher, be they big-time publishers or small independent publishers for your games? Well, no, because the last... I mean, most of you have read my blogs and my articles. I mean, I read the Gamma Sutra article back in... I linked it a few months ago where I was saying that um, digital distribution was the way to go. It was... I'll see if I can find the link, but it was an article that i written where I had said that... Um, you know, with once digital distribution, you know, takes off, you know, all bets are off and that um, there will be really no need for indies like us to have to do publishers. That's why my last game, uh, which was the original Universal Combat in 2004, was done with Dreamcatcher, who are now no longer in business. Um, I had sworn that was my last publishing deal ever because you only need publishers for three things, money, support, and you know commercial release um indies have been able to get all those things since the early 2000s i mean that's why you know there's so many indie games out i mean there's so many indie developers who especially when mobile kind of kicked off you know we were able to do all those three things and you know make uh, you know a decent uh, uh living from it but um where it is right now, I'm mean, even even on the on the PlayStation and on and and and, and you know and Sony PlayStation and other things and um, Microsoft Xbox, um, you really don't need a publisher um, because if you can do the marketing, you're good. Um, you can do the outreach, you're good, and of course you don't need funding. You don't need a publisher. I mean, right now this day and age, the only thing you need a publisher for is the same things you always need them for in the beginning: money. Um, support and um you know and and commercial release but with with now that the whole the digital distribution thing is just as big as the old school you know store shelves um kind of thing um steam is convoluted you have gog you have um green man gaming um uh game stops there there's gone the way of the dodo but the bottom line is there's, you know, Steam is like CompUSA, Best Buy, Walmart, Sam's all rolled into one. Discovery is a huge problem. 
So you can't just throw your go, you know, the days where you can just throw your game on Steam and you know hope for the best. I mean, those days are completely gone. Long, so you still long, have long still, gone, yeah. Yeah, oh you still have to market, do the outreach, and that's where publishers come in because you know it doesn't matter how good your game is if people don't know about it, you're not going to make money from it. You know, but um, would I do a publishing deal again? No, not at all. Because I, you know, my thing is always that if I can do something by myself, I don't need to pay somebody else to do it. Not nothing to do with the bad experiences I've had with publishers. It's just that I don't have a need for them right away. I mean, for instance, with Algonon, I mean, I brought in to finish that project back in 2000. You guys know the fantasy MMO game. I took that over. And we got it completed, and I didn't even ask for any money. I just asked for uh, you know a piece of the action, and um, you know we got that game finished in expansion pack. Didn't even need a publisher for any of that. And then late last year, I bought it outright. I bought the majority investors out, so now I own the game. I own the company. Blah blah blah. And since that time, when we were, now we're in the process of um, moving it from hardware servers to cloud servers and hoping to release it worldwide so I can get my investment out. Um, you need publishers for that because moving, you know, releasing a game, a fantasy MMO game in territories where you've never uh, been before, like in Asia or Maine or where, um, you need a publisher. You just cannot release a game in China or Korea or in the Middle East or Russia or wherever, or CIS territories without a publisher. So yes, you would need a publisher, but because some of these publishing deals themselves are so badly written. You may as well just sell territorial rights for a lot of cash up front and then, you know, forget about getting any, any more money at all. So in, in deals like that, yeah, I would do a publisher. I would say, hey, yeah, so you want to release my game in this territory, that territory, this territory, fine. You pay me this, this, and this, and Anything you generate above this amount, you give me a cut. That's it. So if even if you end up with a situation where you say, fine, I'll take $5 million up front, give me $0.30 cents on the dollar, anything above $5 million, you can pretty much just say $5 million is all you're going to get because there's a very good chance you're never going to see another penny. So those are the kind of publishing deals that uh, I would end up doing, not something that I would do because I expect them to you know, hold up their, you know, financial end of the bargain. But when it comes to my territory here in the U.S., I have zero need or interest in um, in working with a publisher. Well, that makes sense. And if you don't need to, you don't need to. I mean, there's some really good publishers out there that I see smaller indie dev studios going with. And uh, they can definitely use the help because marketing is such a different beast from developing <laughs> As you as as you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The thing the thing that with marketing is, I mean, nowadays there, there are so many ways you can market a product. But you know the problem with that is there's too much noise. Um, the fact that anybody can, any team or anybody can put a really really good game together means that you have to spend a lot of time, money, and effort to rise above the noise. And a lot of people have this misconception that the amount of marketing you throw against something guarantees success. It really doesn't. I mean, you can still fund a game for $2 million and spend a million dollars marketing it, and you still don't make any money on it. 
Um, but it's been the formula forever. Publishers still do it where they spend an exceptional amount of money on um, marketing a game. So if they're looking to make, you know, let's say 50 cents on the dollar, they would much rather allocate 10 cents of that up front on marketing and hope to recoup it. But, you know, publishers with deep pockets can afford to do that. Uh, can you imagine an indie developer scraping together $500,000 on crowdfunding or selling his mom's house or his underwear? No. And going mm-hmm. and doing spend quite, and go spend quite a million dollars on marketing. I mean, like, pff, they would just, they would be laughing so hard. So that's, that's the thing. And that's the reason why some of these indie games end up being breakout games because they come out of nowhere, you know, and go like, wow, I can't believe, you know, I made money back on this thing. Because most of the indie dev- devs who do it don't really expect to make money beyond their initial investment. Any indie developer who makes their money, I mean, makes their money back on the original game is, you know, is praising the stars that it lives to fight another day. <laughs> you know, if you turn a profit, then you know you've done something right. But, you know, most games fail. You know, yeah. <laughs> take it from me. I've done 19 of them. Most games fail. I've been, and my formula has always been that, Brian, you know this. If I can, if I have 10 people buying my games, I'm going to keep making games for 10 people. I don't care about 12 people because trying to go after 12 people, it's those two people that will end up making you lose part of the 10 who are buying your games to begin with. That's why I kept making games with the same people over and over again because right. I've always been able to rely on them, you know, to be there. You know, and that that's why so, I've never. Yeah, and that that is so important to have that core audience that you can rely on to buy your product. A lot of, I think there are a lot of, um, I think a lot of indie games crash and burn before they even get to that point, which is a real shame. Yeah, but the other thing, the other thing about that is, um, you know, when you look at you know, guys like Brian Fargo, Brian and I go way, way back from when he, you know, he founded Interplay and they released, you know, Battlecruiser version 2.0. I mean, anytime those guys release a game, I mean, Brian has enough money, he can fund any games. But any businessman will tell you, if you can use somebody else's money, do it. Why use yours, you know? So Brian Fargo can pretty much, um, fund any game he wants but he knows that if he goes to his install base guys like us and say hey i want to make another game um give me one million you know people are going to be falling over themselves trying to give him four million dollars because they know he's deliver you know you cannot put a price tag on goodwill this is what a lot of the new guys don't seem to understand nostalgia is good and is, is good and all but once you establish that credibility with your base, it's pretty much a license to print money if you continue to deliver. Uh, it, you just cannot under you know under I, you just cannot cannot underestimate the power of loyalty. So it doesn't matter whether somebody so, gives, gives you money for a game; they're never going to play. They're just happy to give you money because they know you will deliver, and they well, can then, be a part part of something. Let me let me ask you this then. I'm I'm just going to be blunt about this one. So we've kind of alluded to a little of the Star Citizen thing, but like how how then does that work in a community where they only sort of deliver part of the time, but yet people who are willing to be wells and shell out so much money? Well, that's more of a psychological problem. 
than it is a logical one. I mean, you can never underestimate the power of Sankar's fallacy. Um, Sankar's fallacy basically is what every single whale in Star Citizen is going through because <clears throat> aside from trying to prove Derek Smart wrong, I mean, good luck with that, uh, good luck with that, um, <laughs> is, is, is that they, I mean, I never saw a hill I didn't want to die on. So I, 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 I'm completely amazed at people who always try to prove me wrong and repeatedly fail at it. But the, you know, I digress. The point I'm making is that, um, those guys, I mean, I, I mean, I don't knock people for how they spend their money. But the bottom line is there's a reason why you have things like Sonka's fallacy. There's a reason why you have things like going concern as a valid business accounting term. You know, if you, you cannot throw money at a problem and, ex, and, uh, and expect different results if you don't change something. Okay. Um, Star Citizen has been a train wreck since 2015. Nothing has changed. The train right. has been on, the train has been on track. Why these people feel that throwing money at a train that's completely off the rails is somehow going to magically put it back on track when nothing else has changed is completely beyond me. It just right. means that they're stuck in song cost fallacy because nothing, you know, you know why, uh, you know, as, hey, as much as I hate to do it, I'm going to use Elon Musk as, as an example. You know why short sellers make so much money on Tesla? It's because they trade on the ego and the angst that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk, you know, uh, uh, portrays, you know, the, the ego, the arrogance, the angst, the whole nine yards. So this is the reason why anytime he says something, tweets something, Tesla does something, somebody makes, makes money by shorting their stock. Okay. So, these are the things, these are, these are how you can actually gauge, you know, it's like, you know, selling pork bellies or whatever. You can actually, people make money from your highs, people make money from your lows. Sometimes the, the people, make, you know, betting on the lows make a lot more money than those betting on the highs. So it's all about, you know, the cult of personality. You know, when you find an issue where, uh, you know, somebody is, you know, on a specific track and nothing about that track has changed, but you keep giving them money, what's going to happen? One or two things has to happen. They either succeed or they fail. So when somebody try when Elon Musk says something and some you know something goes sideways, the stock goes up or it goes down. SEC says, hey, we're charging with fraud. Boom, stock goes down, short sellers rejoice. Oh Elon Musk has now settled with the SEC. Boom! Investors are happy. Stock goes up. Short sellers start crying. It's 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 that seesaw of personality. So Star Citizen is like that because for a time, I mean, they don't do it anymore. For a time, they were actually using me as their stock guidance, whereby the more stuff I wrote, the more they gave Star Citizen money because somehow I don't don't ask me how they came to this conclusion. These are not rational people we're talking about. Somehow they felt that, you know, throwing money at Star Citizen would somehow lead them to success, thus proving me wrong. But nothing has changed. When I kept saying back since 2015, you guys, hey, you need to seek accountability for this money. If you don't seek accountability for this money and you don't know how he's going to spend, then you're not 
paying for a game anymore. You're paying to belong to something you hope will, you know, turn out right. And in three years, you not much, you know, not much has changed. So it's basically it's basically the same thing. You're either funding something, uh, you're either putting money into a crowdfunded game, you expect the game back, or you're crowdfunding an idea without any expectations of getting something back. And I think at this point, anybody still giving money to Star Citizen doesn't really expect to get anything back other than what they currently have. Yeah, they just but, want to be part. Know, of, they just want to be part of that conversation. They just want to exactly. Be- and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they right. just want to be part of that conversation. They're part of the community. Um, you know, it's no different from us being back in the old days. We all used to be on Usenet. We used to be on AOL. CompuServe, you know, we're part of a community where we fuss, fight, rave, rant the whole nine yards. Because, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody was sending death threats. Nobody was, you know, going to somebody's house and, you know, you know, shooting them and all this stuff. We were, we were, we were all friends, even though we all had, you know, different opinions, right? For, for the most part, most of us were friends. We all knew each other. We would fuss, fight, disagree, and all. We all belonged to, 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 um, to a group, to a club, to a cult, as it were. Um, but the whole, the whole thing with crowdfunding is, you know, people who don't pay attention are those who don't care about the money. I mean, there's, you know, you, you know, you 35 bucks, you know, say you can, let let me go small. You can go to a $20 movie in IMAX and it still sucks. I mean, you're not going to be, you're not going to go back and watch the movie and pay another 20 bucks, hoping the movie is going to be better. I mean, that's madness, but that's basically how I see star citizen. Somebody yeah. put sixty bucks. Somebody put sixty bucks in it, and in three years, not much has changed. They put another sixty bucks because they think something any day now, something different is going to change. It's 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 a losing. It's 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 not a it's not a winning solution. And guess what? When you do that, you completely strip away any accountability. There's no need. There's no longer a goal. Because tell you what, the worst nightmare for any invest for any cup business is an investor with deep pockets. I mean, look at Amazon. If you know how many years Amazon and Bezos just he just stuck with it. He goes, Look, this is the path. We're gonna do this. And look where Amazon is today. And a lot of people, a lot of investors who were bare on that, um, you know, made out like bandits. You know, you have and unfortunately when you <laughs> The difference between Amazon and Star Citizen is Amazon consistently produces. You know, there's always something new. There's always a new direction. There's always something that adds value to investor money. But Star Citizen doesn't, or any crowdfunded game, let's forget about Star Citizen. Crowdfunded games are for a specific thing. You pay 60 bucks, you want a game back. Whether the game is worth 60 bucks is immaterial. You've already paid sixty bucks for it. It's not like you you go to a store or you go download a game right now for twenty bucks on Steam. You play for less than fifteen or thirty minutes. You get a refund. You move on. You know when you fund a crowdfunded game, you're taking a huge risk. And you know when you keep putting money in it, that's not that's no longer taking risk. That's being stupid. You know, and that's really the the part that. A lot of people don't don't understand that you know it's more about sunk cost fallacy and the need to belong to something than than, than about right. want, wanting to see a product um, be a reality. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I 
and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No, I mean, I don't, sure. I don't, I don't know about you. I mean, guys, I mean, I don't do the strip clubs or or, or beer drinking, all this stuff. I mean, people can go to a strip club and spend a thousand dollars. You can go on vacation and spend two thousand dollars. This is the same guys who think you know throwing a thousand dollars at something they believe in is worth it. So you know, who are we to judge? You know, to each his own. But um, right. you know, there it's their money. They can do what they want to do with it. But what really gets me about Star Citizen community is not that they're throwing money at the at the at, at the failed venture, is that they are arguably so um, incensed about people telling them they're doing something stupid that you know the, the the whole community is just so toxic because nobody wants to be told that they're wrong or that they've made a bad decision. So you know they tend to lash out. I mean we're gamers, dramas in our DNA. You know <laughs> we we fuss sure. and fight. You know. 24/7 so it's nothing new and that's really the sad part of it because when you look at the when you look I know a lot of Star Citizen fans who are really great guys they just they pay this I know a guy who's a very good friend of mine who's got $1500 in Star Citizen I laugh at him every single day and he's an Evo County member I laugh at him every single chance that I get but he's still my friend I don't judge him you know you know I don't judge him at all but you know this is it's something he believes in he doesn't believe he's ever going to game because he's been putting money in it since 2012 when we all started but um it's something he thinks that he says you know i know i haven't got my my, my 1500 whatever out of the game yet but um this is something that i thought i wanted to do you know i could have gone hiking and uh you know lost my my phone or lost my gear and you know i would still replace it i wouldn't be crying about it 24 7 and my response usually is, dude, it's a game. You know, I think that's probably the most level-headed approach to this whole thing that I've ever heard. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah. and and that's not like, I've just, I don't think I've ever really approached it in such a, like a way that made me think about it from the other side, right? Like that, that's, uh, that's pretty, it's pretty clever. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the it's the it's the best way to you see. I mean, we laugh at those guys all day. Again, we're drama is in our DNA. We will never, ever, ever sacrifice or pass up on the chance to laugh at something, no matter how ridiculous it is. So, but you know, we're all gamers, and we're all part of the same group of like mind. I mean, like minded gamers. But everything with society, you have good actors, and you have bad actors. You know, so even though we laugh at them or we make fun of them. You know, these are our friends and colleagues and family members, and they all have their own um, thought process. Some a thousand dollars to somebody is, you know, thirty dollars to somebody else. You know, you know, someone like me who I funded, like, kid you not, I have a list. I funded like twenty games of crowdfunded. As you guys know, I don't even know half of. Them. I didn't fund them because I had it. I wanted to play them. I funded them because I knew the guys who were developing them and it's, it was my way of giving back, you know? Um, so when I put, when I funded games like bloom mandate and Canary and all the ones I don't even follow, when I put that money up, you know, I said, you know what? I'm supporting some guys. I know I'm supporting a game idea. If it makes it fine, doesn't make it fine. Same thing with star citizen. I gave them, you know, 150 bucks in 2012. I lost interest. Until 2015, when people start, you know, people I know who worked on it start telling me, hey, dude, you know, this is a train wreck, blah, 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 take a look at it. 
you know, same thing that just happened recently with, um, you know, with, with this, with this other game, you know, I, I fund something, people know that I fund it and, um, I lose track of it. You know, you know, I move on. I don't, you know, I don't babysit it. And then, you know, somebody says, Hey, by the way, you know, maybe you should take a look and something's going on with this game. And, um, and you go and look and go, Oh wait, I did fund this. Where are they now? And you go, Oh my God, they're never going to, it's like that. So, I mean, I have like $2,000 or more spread across different games and that I've crowdfunded and most of them haven't been released or some of them have been released. I never played them. I mean, to this day, I haven't played Shrouds of the Avatar and I was one of the original funders. I haven't played it. I haven't played Bard's Tale 4. So many games are funded, but I haven't played them. So it's the same It's the same way I look at the guys, the genuine gamers who are back as a star citizen. They're back to an idea. They're back to dream. They want to support it. Nothing wrong with that. They're okay knowing that a game may or may not come out of it. They're okay with that. But then you have all the bad actors, you know, on the other side of, of the fence who just, uh, I don't even want to go there. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's gaming. But, you know, the bottom line is it's their money. They can do what they want to do. But my biggest thing with Star Citizen is that it's the number one crowdfunded, uh, uh, um, success of, of anything ever and it really shouldn't have failed because it's failing sets a very very bad precedent all on its own the fact that it's gaming makes it worse and for me for my personal side of thing the fact that it's it's um it's a game in the genre that i've spent three decades in is a little too close to home so of course i take a very you know keen interest in it um, some people don't seem to understand that, but it's people who, the people who don't know my my history don't understand how you know a genre that I spent three decades on that I focus on everybody. It's just it's just like 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 you know like Brian who's who's been the torchbearer of these games. Nobody else is doing what he does over the years because for all intents and purposes, no matter how many fans Star Citizen has, or no matter how many fans. Um, Elite Dangerous has or X all these games. You there there really isn't a media type community around our favorite genre. So people wonder, oh, I'm obsessed with Star Citizen. I wanted to see it fail. I mean, they keep forgetting that I funded the thing from day one. I'm an original. I'm an I'm an original backer of the game. So you know, and because it's so big. And because its failure is going to not only impact crowdfunding, which it already has, uh, and if you look at, if you go back and take a look at uh, most of the games, most of the space games, um, you know that that came out during that were got into funding um, during that same period of time, the 2012, 2013, you know, games like you know, the Mandate and. Um, uh, all the other ones that came out, only Elite Dangerous came out. Um, Battle Space Infinity isn't out. Dual Universe isn't out. Uh, so imagine what's going to happen when you know everybody comes to the realization that you know. By the way, hey, there's a very good chance Star Citizen isn't going to make it. It's gonna it's gonna have a huge ripple effect, clean clear across the genre, and. Oh. That's you know, where it's, it's close for me. Sorry, it's yeah. just too close to home. Sure. I would venture to say, though, that 
those the two of those games that you mentioned are probably farther along and closer to coming out than Star Citizen is. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. But and that's the point I was making that you know, say it fails, let's say those two games come out. Let's say, you know, Dewey Universe comes out, um if in the battle space comes out. Not that I mean, yeah, they will come out because they're 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 more focused games. They're more indies who have a lot more to lose, and they don't have people throwing money at them. And we we know hopefully they're not going anywhere. But Infinity Battle Space has been you know in development for actually uh, quite like long ten, ten, ten yeah. years at least. Yeah. yeah, quite longer than I was on on the original Battlecruiser. So I can relate. And remember, I had to build all my stuff from scratch. <laughs> you know, imagine imagine that that you would you take that long to make a game um of that type in this particular uh, uh day and age and it's it's a huge huge undertaking. So even if those two come out, it doesn't really matter win, lose, or draw what state Star Citizen is when it when you know everybody decides, yep, we we've come this far and no more, it's gonna have a huge Ripple effect. I mean, look at Elite Dangerous. I mean, Elite Dangerous is already petered out. You know, it's it's got its own drama going on, but um, and they've been you know improving on it and taking a few steps forward, a few steps back with the DLC, and you know continue to cultivate the install base, just like Eve, and just like any other game that uh, has a community around it, and that's the same thing with Star Citizen, except they still don't have a game that's um you know four years late and um <laughs> i don't know over a hundred million over budget well no 100 it's now 200 million so it's basically over 195 million dollars over budget that should make your heart skip a beat when you think about it they wanted five million to make a game they've now got 200 million they still haven't even made the original game that should make you pause and say why are people still giving their money? You know, and what would, know. <laughs> what, what would what would the guys at Infinity Battle Space or during the universe do if they had, let's say, fifty million dollars? I mean, just think about that. This is the this is the impact and the effect that it would have, not just in gaming but also in our genre. Uh, it's it's you know it's just one of those, and the whales look at it as you know too big to fail. But you know, sometimes you have to cut bait. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Well, we should wrap it up. Been going a while. Um, so right now, folks, you can buy Universal Combat and its uh, DLC, The Lyrius Conflict. Right? Yep. That's what's yeah, it's on. It's on. It's on sale. You can basically get uh, get the whole thing for whole kit and caboodle. And uh, Derek is still working on it. How would you? How Last question, <laughs> how much work would you say you have left on it? Do you have any kind of estimation? Oh yeah, I do. I do. I have a lot of work left on it. <laughs> okay. I would say I would say uh let me think. Because right now the biggest push uh you're still playing, Brian. Let me see if I can go to my screen. Brian, um are you playing the latest version? I'm not playing it right now. That's a pre-recorded video I took about oh, that's two the, hours that's ago. The video you took. Ah, that's the video you made. No, no. Okay, what I was saying is that right, the latest version I just released has all the... Um, I gave you a link of the screenshots earlier, which yeah. has... I'm really focused on, on adding all the new content. I expect to get all the new content 
added in by the end of October. From that point on, it's a matter of um, doing other graphics tweaks and, um, you know, improving on some of the, the visual aspects, you know, of the, the terrain textures. Because the, the whole, the planted terrain is procedure generated. So I don't really have to do much work on that. Just basically improve on the textures, some of the lighting. But the, the, the work I'm doing right now is the, is the bulk of it is mostly all content. So I would say maybe another, I don't know, six months or so, I'd be able to say, yeah, this is done and out. And the reason why I want to get it done within the next um, four to six months is because the next DLC I want to do is to add multi add back multiplayer. Because if you recall, the game had multiplayer in the original 2004 version. Oh my version. God! Right, I forgot about that. Yes, <laughs> and we had multi. Yeah, we had multiplayer. The reason, and this is going to sound funny, the reason I disabled multiplayer, um, in the collector's edition, and indeed the Lear's Conflict, is because one, it's a serious amount of work. Gamers expect more and better multiplayer now than ever before. And we created some groundbreaking multiplayer technology for line of defense. So I figured rather than wasting my time putting in the old multiplayer engine back, which is basically an engine all by itself, there's not too much work to... I could Right now, I could put multiplayer back, the original multiplayer back in about, in about a week's, week's work. But then I'm going to be getting all kinds of reports. Oh, I'm seeing ghost items or lag or ping and all this nonsense because the game is much bigger now. So adding multiplayer is not the issue, but I decided I, rather than go back and add the old multiplayer engine, tweak it, beef it up to match the, the current game, I'd rather just finish the game first, see how it goes with the DLC. If those suckers don't buy it, I'm not making another DLC. It's as simple as that. I mean, somebody has to pay. So um, the good thing is they've always paid for the game. So I expect that the, the DLC will pay for itself. And by the time I release that, I would, I would, I'm thinking within the next four months, just before I finish the DLC and say, hey, it's out of early access, I would put up the new DLC that adds multiplayer using the line of defense uh, multiplayer engine, which is vastly more superior. And what that will do is, It'll give you um, not an MMO. I have no intentions of making an MMO version of Universal Combat. What it'll give you is at least 120, 64 to 128 player session-based um, multiplayer game in Universal Combat, similar to what we currently have in Angle of Attack and All Aspect Warfare. You know, the built-in server browser ability to host and play on the same session on your own machine or the ability to set up dedicated servers you know all the stuff i've already done in previous games but with a better multiplayer engine so once the lyrus conflict is done within the next 46 months the next dlc will be multiplayer and then the next dlc after that provided i'm you know still interested in doing it will be to add the first person you know aka space legs inside the capital ships inside the stations which is exactly what we have in line of defense. So you'll be able to start, like you're playing right now, you can start the game. You, you won't be starting in a 2D screen. You'll be starting inside the 3D bridge of your game and be flying it through the game world just the same way you can in um, 
line of defense. So that'll be my uh, my third DLC. But I still have big plans because I never intend on doing another game like this again. So improving on it piece by piece via DLCs, I think, is the best way to go. And, you know, bite-sized chunks, as it were. That sounds awesome. So, folks, go pick that up on Steam. It's really still one of the most expansive and detailed space sims you can buy. There are very few games that even come close, and they were made 20-some years ago. I mean, Rules of of Engagement, uh, Starfleet 2. Starfleet, Starfleet. That's yep, a that's a, that, no, that's, no exaggeration. That's, a, that's about it. That, those are the only Read games. The manual. Yeah, Read no. The manual, no, Man, no, 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 no. Manuals. Plural. Manuals. Review. Read the manual. Manuals. There are multiple. <laughs> plural. Manuals. <laughs> oh, just oh, just try oh, just try the demo. The demo is on Steam too. Just try oh, the demo. There's a demo. Or or just download the free Universal Combat. The base game is free. I released few years ago it's an older game but um you know it's still out there it's still free the 2004 universal combat game is i released it for free a couple of years back it's an older so, game sir but it checks out yeah yeah so you can still play that, <laughs> can still play that. <laughs> so just nice. a couple of just a couple of quick programming notes before we wrap up um this Thursday on the LAN party, my friends, we are going to be returning to a favorite of ours, Deep Rock Galactic. Uh, since the last time we played, it has had numerous updates. So I am super excited to return to that. And then next week, we're very excited to have uh, a guest who who just released an early access game called Noble Armada. But he also worked on the classic Emperor of the Fading Suns. Uh, Andrew Greenberg, the guy who pretty much created the entire Fading Suns universe, uh, is our guest next week, which is super exciting because if you all know me, you know how much I love Emperor of the Fading Suns, like a lot, like a lot. Um, so, Derek, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to us, and we, I'm, I know I'm very excited to see uh, how Universal Combat ends up once you're done with it. And it's all sure. stable and with multiplayer and all that stuff. It's going to be fun multiplayer. I completely forgot yeah, about I the know. multiplayer. Yeah, I, I know. I know I you did. That's what I, was, I was anti-multiplayer <laughs> when that was a thing. So uh, <laughs> so that was uh, – so I, that's why I forgot. But now I'm dying to try it. But, uh, folks, thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will see you next week. Have a great night. Bye-bye.